Welcome to the University of Wyoming Today. On this program, you'll hear about what's making the news and about the people and events at UW. You'll also learn about some of the leading research that's taking place at one of the region's top universities. And now, here's today's edition of the University of Wyoming Today. Hi, Jim Kearns with you. Today we'll be looking at a promising approach to combat childhood obesity. And a food scientist will be discussing the sugar versus corn syrup issue. A historian will be taking a look at the first Thanksgiving. And we'll be hearing from an Irish microbiologist who's working in a UW laboratory this semester. Okay, we've seen all the statistics, and by any measure, Childhood obesity has become a serious epidemic in this country. The question is, can anything be done about it? The University of Wyoming Division of Kinesiology and Health and the Department of Family and Consumer Sciences have launched a comprehensive program called Healthy Pokes. Program Director Karen Goodrow says it's more than just an exercise program to get children to shed pounds. The program has four components, physical activity, nutrition, behavioral health, um, and mentoring. So it's not just about um, learning how to exercise or work out in a traditional sense, but different ways that for the children to be physically active. Um, so we have several research programs, uh, research studies that we are collecting a variety of data on the children to determine whether or not the Healthy Books program makes a difference. Um, we measure their body size, we calculate height, uh, we measure their height, their weight, and their waist circumference. We also assess the children's self-efficacy or level of confidence in engaging in these behaviors. So do they feel more confident finding exercise in a way that, that they feel good about? Do they feel more confident that they can make good nutritional choices? We also look at lifestyle habits like sleep, quality of sleep. We also look at screen time, how much time they report watching television or using a tablet or an iPhone or computer, um, because we do know there's a connection between reduced physical activity and increases in screen time. So it's too early to see big changes, but we are noticing small uh, decreases in waist circumference. Uh, the kids are reporting less screen time and the children are reporting increases in physical activity. They also tell us that they are eating more fruits and vegetables. The children also overwhelmingly tell us that they love being here. And we're seeing some small, very positive improvements in some of those lifestyle habits and, and body size results. So far, so good. And it shouldn't be that hard to get your children off the sofa to enjoy physical activities. And you can lead by example when it comes to healthy and nutritious diets. Did you see there's a lawsuit going on between the big sugar processors and the high fructose corn manufacturers? We don't have time to get into a lot of the details of the lawsuit, but the sugar refiners are saying the fructose folks are making false claims when they describe their products as corn sugar or when they say it's a so-called natural product. So is there a difference? To find out, I asked Rhoda Schantz, a food scientist in the University of Wyoming Department of Family and Consumer Sciences. 
when using corn syrup, whether it's glucose corn syrup or high fructose corn syrup, it's always sweeter than the crystalline sugar. Food processors like to use the high fructose corn syrup because it is sweeter, plus it's also liquid. And it's easier to dispense liquid and it's easier to dissolve the liquid rather than the crystalline sugar. The difference in the sweetness has to do with what in the industry they refer to as dextrose equivalents. Because corn starch contains um, the glucose units, they're actually referred to in, as dextrose in corn starch. So they do use a dextrose equivalent. And high fructose corn syrup is a higher content of dextrose equivalents than sugar. That's Associate Professor of Food Science Rhoda Schantz. But sugar, corn syrup, or whatever you call those sweeteners, it's a good idea to avoid those super-duper-sized soft drinks that are big enough to go swimming in. You're listening to the University of Wyoming Today. I'm Jim Kearns. It seems like we just did this, but whether you're ready for it or not, the holiday season is here, and Thanksgiving is just around the corner. What's the basis for this holiday that celebrates pilgrims and Indians and the biggest of all family feasts? Here's University of Wyoming American history professor Renee Legrade. First, what we call Thanksgiving probably happened in October uh, rather than November. And it was, pro it was more than likely a celebration because they had a really good harvest, first good harvest. The pilgrims were all out there celebrating, and one of the ways that they were celebrating was shooting off their muskets. And uh, the Native Americans that were around heard all this shooting, decided to see what was going on, and so showed up. And so it became that Native American and um, English celebration that we talk about. Our term Thanksgiving is kind of rooted to that one specific event that we have in November. But for them, it was, uh, there are many Thanksgivings. They could happen all the time. It was a giving of thanks for something special. And they were giving thanks this time for that really wonderful harvest. The governor of the colony went ahead and said, you know, guys go out and shoot a bunch of birds. And they got a bunch of birds, they had a bunch of veg, you know, of crops and they just had a great feast. It was not extravagant like we have today, but it was really great for them, and they were very thankful for it. Thanksgiving wasn't a national holiday in the United States until the fall of 1863. That's when President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation declaring that the last Thursday in November would be a national day of Thanksgiving. Over the years, a number of researchers from the University of Wyoming have received Fulbright scholarships to do work overseas. That's a two-way street, as researchers from abroad come to the university to work on their projects. Microbiologist Gerard Wall came all the way from Ireland to collaborate with faculty in the chemical engineering department. 
He says they are developing a handheld detection device that can be used in environmental monitoring and detecting pathogens. What we're trying to do is, is make it more biological. So I work with antibodies from our immune system and I'm going to use these antibodies to identify viruses, to identify toxins in water, to identify pathogens in food samples. So we're using the existing technology but expanding it. It's a, a small handheld device, something bigger than a, a camera, and we would take a sample, put it in a little glass vial, quick shake, uh, insert in the machine and it will give identification rapid virtually real-time identification of, for example, a toxin in a water sample. And so somebody who's involved in aquaculture could identify on-site rapidly without the need for any other instrumentation or expertise that there's this toxin in their shellfish waters and therefore they should withdraw the shellfish from, from the human market for, for consumption. Microbiologist Gerard Wall comes from the National University of Ireland, Galway. Says he's happy to be in Wyoming and that it's an excellent place for conducting this type of research. And how about University of Wyoming alumni Joe Reese and Arthur Middleton? They've been named 2016 National Geographic Adventurers of the Year finalists for their work studying, taking pictures, and exploring wildlife migrations in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. You can read all about their work on the National Geographic website. I'm Jim Kearns, and that's it for my time. Thanks for yours. That's it for this time. Join us again for the next edition of the University of Wyoming Today. Today.